have some exciting times ahead of us. Open up 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. and <coughs> I am, uh, I don't know, often blown away at God's ability to know where we need to be when. And <laughs> how that all fits with everything else that God's doing is kind of exciting. Sunday, I'm probably a little hot, Cindy, because I'm going to start hollering in a minute. <clears throat> Sunday, um, we're going to be talking about, probably the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the need for every believer to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to uh, have Him, the Holy Spirit, moving in our life in power. Amen. And the things that that um, restrain the power of God moving and working in our life. And I think so often we, we miss out on all that God has for us, just some very practical things. Primarily, our biggest problem as a people is we don't struggle with the idea of confessing Jesus Christ. But the, the, the next step to that, the, the Bible tells in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart and we'll be saved. But the Bible throughout Scripture talks to us about repenting. And repentance is a change of direction. That we cannot continue on the same road we were on when we came to Christ. We come to Christ and, and the first thing that happens in, when we bask in His glory and His majesty is, is we begin to look around and realize, wow, uh, this is not a good place for me to be. Well, being with the Lord is good, but where, where I'm at right now in my life. And so we repent. We agree with God. We agree with His Word. What it says in here, <clears throat> what He calls sin is sin. What He reveals in my life is sin is sin. And He asks me to turn. Repent. And then we, we need to obey. we got to confess, repent. And obey. And then will we experience the power that God has in the life of a believer. Not just, you know, that, I don't know, for a long time in my Christian walk, there was not the juice I needed to say no when I needed to say no, and yes when I needed to say yes. There wasn't the juice I needed to be able to really bear witness of Jesus Christ with my unsaved friends. But when I really, ultimately submitted to God, meaning I, I had confessed Him as my Lord and Savior, I had turned from my life, the problems in my life that were messed up, and I was in obedience to Him, man, when, when God supplies His power, I just want you to realize God's power never runs dry. There's not a tank that gets empty. If we are truly empowered, walking the life God wants us to walk. Romans 8 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, a period goes there. And then he goes on to say, Who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Verse 4, he repeats that phrase Who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. If I'm walking in the flesh, I'm, I'm lacking in so many ways. I'm lacking. I'm, and maybe I, I still am saved, if that's what we're looking for, to, to check a, a check mark. I don't know. I don't know because I see the real fruitfulness in my life as I follow all the way through. Confessing, repenting, and obeying. And tonight, as we look at 2 Kings chapter 6 and God willing, chapter 7, um, man, it's just exciting to see what's going on with Elisha. So let's look. It says, chapter 6, just read the first six verses together. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. So please let us go to the Jordan, let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. 
So he answered, go. So they're talking to Elisha, the sons of the prophets. Remember, three schools of the sons of the prophets. Um, the three schools were in Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. And the school of the prophets under Elisha's uh, leadership is growing. And they don't have room for everybody anymore. So they say, we need to expand. We need to do something. So let's just take everybody and let's go down to the Jordan and let's all cut down a tree. And then we'll bring that beam back and we will build a bigger place where we all fit. So that's their plan. They've got service. They've got something that they need to do. So he says, go. And one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Man, they're doing the work that God has laid before them. They're in service, right? They're out doing the thing. Whatever the thing, what was necessary was trees got needed cut down. A building needed to be done. <sighs> Sons of the prophets are all together and they're out there working. They're out there serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water and he cried out, Alas, master, for it is borrowed. Well, axes back then were really expensive. Iron was tough to get, especially for the children of Israel. And he had an iron axe head. Now, I want you to consider, he's out there doing work, serving the Lord. And he lost the one part of the tool that he was using that gave him all the power to do what he was doing. The axe head being gone meant he's not cutting down a tree anymore. Now, he could stand there and pretend and swing the axe handle, right? And bang a tree with the axe handle, what, really what's going to be accomplished? Um, maybe he'll break the stick, he'll hurt his hands, but he's not getting anything done. He's not getting anything done. And the same is true of a, a, someone who comes to serve the Lord. So often we come to serve the Lord and we get into ministry and we get involved and we get plugged in. And the next thing we know, somewhere when we were swinging, the axe handle's gone. The power, the, the power to do what we need to do. A symbol of the Holy Spirit is missing and, and I no longer have the ability to be effective. And I no longer have the ability to receive joy because of the things I see happening and, and how God is moving and changing and doing things. And here in 2 Kings chapter 6, such an incredible uh, section of scripture for us to recognize what to do. The guy here doesn't pretend. He doesn't fake it till he makes it. He cries out immediately, I do not have the same power I had a second ago. Oh, it's so important in our lives. It's so important to recognize the moment that a shadow would come between me and my relationship with the Lord. As soon as something gets in the way, to recognize something's happened, something's wrong, my, my spirit is is off on a tangent. I'm disconnected. This guy cries out, Alas, Master, immediately. And then he tells us something else that's important for us to recognize. It's borrowed. The power we serve under is not ours. It's not mine. It's not for me. It's not for my exaltation. It's not for my glory. It's not for my comfort. It's not so that I can be happy the power that is mine is a gift from God. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. Because when I go, I will send the comforter. And that comforter is going to do what? He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. He's going to equip us. He's going to gift us. He's going to empower us. He's going to do all these things. And every one of those things is something we need every single day. And the saddest scriptures in the Bible are when you look at Saul, who was anointed, who had the presence of the Holy Spirit, empowering him to be the king he needed to be. And through disobedience, the Spirit is taken away from him, and he didn't know the difference. That's a man who is out of touch. He's out of touch with his God. He's out of touch with reality. And he firmly has himself seated on the throne. And all the power to be effective is gone and he doesn't know it. What about Samson? 
The Bible tells us when Delilah cut his hair, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, he sprang to his feet, and the, what's the next verse say? He didn't know that the strength was gone. The strength wasn't his hair. The Holy Spirit left him through disobedience. And now he no longer had the power to be effective. And he's chained up, his eyes are gouged out, and he spends the rest of his days down in a hole somewhere pushing a a millstone around grinding grain like a donkey. That's what sin does. To recognize the power is missing. I've lost the power. It's gone. It's not mine. So I need to, I need to find out, what, what do I got to do? Something's happened. He calls to the Lord. And so the man of God said, I love this phrase, where did it fall? Man, if you're a, a, a student of the Word, that should remind you of Revelation chapter 2. Why don't you flip over there with me real quick. Where did it fall? Where did it fall? As the Lord is... I love, uh, I love Revelation chapter 2 and 3 because we see seven letters written to seven churches uh, dictated by Jesus Christ to John the Beloved. And in each one of these churches, we see areas within our life that we need to address. My, I think it's a great thing to spend time in chapter 2 and 3 just reading and saying, Lord, where am I in here? and What am I dealing with? You remember the first one? To the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and you have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. Look what he says. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. What's the first thing the prophet said? Where did it fall? Where did you lose it? The, the, the whole point is, as we're moving along and as we're working in service and we're, we're, we're empowered by God's Spirit to, to experience incredible things, word of knowledge, uh, just the right word, the right verse at the right time for somebody that you can share with. And it happens so naturally in our life when we're plugged in and being utilized by the Holy Spirit. But when it's gone, it doesn't happen at all. And we flounder and we wander and we don't have answers and we don't, we don't have uh, the ability to move forward. And maybe it's because... We lost something. And the first thing God's going to say to us is the same thing Elisha said to the guy who lost the axe handle. Where'd you lose it? Remember from where you have fallen. The first thing he tells them. The second thing, repent. And the third thing, do the things you were doing. Do your first works. He says, remember where you were. Remember what was going on. Remember the way your life was structured. Remember, were you, were you getting up and spending time with the Lord? Was your prayer life really on fire? Were you wholly focused and, and dialed into Him? Whatever you were doing at that time, He says, repent from where you are now and get back there. Get back there. And do the things. Remember, repent, return. That's what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus. Remember, repent, return. Go back. Go back. So Elisha says to this guy in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, he says, he says, where were you at? Where were you when all this took place? Where were you when you lost the axe handle? And so he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. <laughs> I love how God works. It's kind of silly to think God would care about an axe head, but he does. And he throws wood in. You know Moses did that once? All the children of Israel were out in the wilderness wandering and they complained. We don't have any water. No, I know it's so shocking that the children of Israel complain, but really they're not that much different from us. And so they're complaining and they come to this place. You remember the name of the place? The name of the place is called Mara because the water they found was bitter. And the people ran to the water, and you know how you would if you were really thirsty, right? And 
sticking their face in there to get a big old drink of nasty, stinky, ugly water. And they come up and they go, oh, this is terrible. Oh, God hates us. And Moses went and he got a stick. And he threw it in the water. And it turned the water from bitter to sweet. In the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, why don't we just flip there together in Hebrews chapter 12. I think the Lord uh, just really helps us understand what's going on in that case with Moses. What's going on in this case with, with Elisha. He says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to this. Looking unto Jesus. What, what is the universal symbol for Jesus? Man, it's the cross. It's the wood. It's the wood. Listen. When you study the tabernacle and the layout of the tabernacle over and over again for the for the Ark of the Covenant, you have acacia wood or shittim wood, which is, many believe, the exact same wood that would have been utilized at the cross. And it becomes a symbol, wood becomes a symbol of his humanity. But you remember what they put around the wood? Gold. And gold becomes what? A symbol of divinity. You see in one box, humanity and divinity, the dual nature of Christ, fully human fully God. And then on top of that box is placed the, the, the hilasterion. <laughs> the hilasterion, it means propitiation. Oh, in Hebrew they translate it mercy seat. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. That's what the Bible lays out for us. He is the mercy seat. God covering our sins. That's what the Ark of the Covenant was all about and and so i the wood speaks of humanity the wood can speak of flesh and i see the cross in the wood what happened on the cross all of our failures all of our issues were nailed to it that we have a letter written against us all the failures in the law that we have ever done that makes us that call, that, that demands a guilty plea for us every human being on the face of the earth is guilty but the bible says in in, uh, in is it Colossians? He took that and he nailed it to the cross. He moved it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross through Jesus Christ. And so when Moses threw the wood in the water, the suffering of Jesus, as, as Hebrews chapter 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. We begin to get weary. We begin to get frustrated. We begin to get dry. What's he say? Look to Jesus. Look to his sacrifice. Look to the, to the glory of what he gave. And the bitterness will wash away. And the spirit that is sunk deep into the river and we can't find it, it'll float to the surface. But I like what Elisha does next because it's, uh, I think it's really important for, for us as we understand what is it that the Lord wants for us to do. It says he made the iron flow, but look at verse 7. And he said, pick it up for yourself. We got to appropriate it. Listen, people get all uptight, and I'm sure people will get uptight as we continue to, to branch out and talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, every person who puts faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in them. And every person who has faith in Jesus Christ as a believer has the ability to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And just so you know, the word baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, everywhere, every section within Scripture in the New Testament where you find it's all the same word. It's only different in the English. That's why I say I'm not going to argue with anybody over baptism or field. It doesn't matter. It's all the same word. I don't care what you call it. 
It's the empowerment of God's Spirit. And it must happen to every believer who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One time that Holy Spirit comes upon him on power. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to jump up and speak in tongues. He may be filled with boldness to speak the Word of God where he wasn't. The point is, he's going to be able to be a witness for Jesus Christ, he or she, like he was never able to do before. But the Holy Spirit is not going to come swooping into you without you wanting to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we can go on with our axe handle and no axe head. And we can beat it on the side of the trunks and we can wonder why things never change. We can wonder why I still struggle with the same things I still struggle with. Or we can choose to be obedient to God's word, to confess, to repent, to obey, and to seek the power that comes from him. Because Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, Be ye being filled continuously, constantly, always seeking, always desiring that overflow, that overwhelming, that empowerment of the spirit. I often talk about this as the pendulum effect. From one time, somebody who believed that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit did something out of order and everybody freaked out. So we put the Holy Spirit in a box and said, that's not safe. We'll open that later. Much later. And we go along as a church without power. Because that's the power. What was the power of Pentecost? It wasn't tongues. What was the power of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. What was the power in Samaria? Holy Spirit. What was the power in the Gentiles with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? Holy Spirit. What was the power of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19? How many times has God got to tell us the same exact story? Before we say, wow. There's really something to this. And as we look here in... In 2 Kings 6, again, he's, he's laying out for us, man, we need to appropriate. We have to desire to be empowered by God. Or he'll just leave us where we're, where we're satisfied. In our indifference. In our complacency. And we'll just confess. We'll just say, I believe. But we don't, nothing changes. No empowerment comes. And we stay stuck in the same muck and mire we were in before. Or we turn. We change. We walk. We agree with God. We agree with God. And we head toward Him. And then we live a life in reliance. Look where He goes. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place and the man of God sent to the king of Israel. Oh, listen to this. Beware that you do not pass by this place for the Syrians are coming down there. How does he know? Oh, well, in the New Testament they call that a word of knowledge. It's an empowerment of the spirit. It's, it's one of the things that the Spirit gives to any believer when they need it. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, to earnestly desire what? The best gifts. What's the best gift? The one you need now. Not the one you don't need. That's not best. The one you need for the moment you're in right now. So Elisha receives a word of knowledge. Now you know how... Sometimes we in the church comfort ourselves when we read stories like this. We say, oh, that's the Old Testament. God doesn't do that anymore. Huh. But he does. <laughs> he does it in the New Testament too. He does it several times in the New Testament actually. And he still does it in the church today. So God still wants to empower his peace, still the same God. He doesn't change. We get fearful, but he doesn't change. He still wants to empower the same way. He has a, a word of knowledge, and he tells the king, the king who hates Elisha. The king's name is Jehoram. 
And Jehoram is, is being handled by the Syrians. The Syrians keep infiltrating Israel and attacking them and taking slaves. And, and so God tells Elisha how they're going to do it. Elisha tells the king, hey, there's going to be a, uh, an attack, such and such an area, such and such a time. And the king of Israel deals with it. And you think all that deliverance would help this guy. Let me tell you about Jehoram. Jehoram won't ever confess that Jehovah, Yahweh is God. He doesn't believe that Yahweh, Jehovah cares about him at all. And he will not repent. So he goes his whole life with no relationship with God. But you watch him just like you watch Ahab and the other guys in the northern kingdom. And God doesn't stop using his prophets to reach out to them. Any more than God stops reaching out for us or the people who we desire to see in a position of salvation. God never quits. Who quits? It's you and me. God don't quit. He continues to move forward. He continues to reach out. Look what it says. So then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him. And he was watchful there. You see this little phrase? Not just once or twice. That's a Hebrew idiom that means this happened often. Often. So Syria is trying all these sneak attacks, and every time they try these sneak attacks, it gets foiled. Therefore, look at verse 11. The heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He says, one of you guys is a spy. Because everything I do over there, they know about it before I get there. And one of his servants said, I love how many places you find unnamed servants in the Bible. That's kind of a cool story, or a, a, a cool study, if you'd ever want to do it. Well, unnamed servants often are a picture of the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit always doing? Revealing Jesus Christ, revealing the Lord. What's this guy say? Oh, none of us. It's Elisha. He points to the man of God. How in the world does he know? Elisha? Some, some guy, some servant in the king of Syria's knows Elisha? How's that happen? I don't know. Interesting. Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. Elisha knows everything you say. He's like, he's got your room bugged. So he said, go and see where he is. Now he says, I know, I'll get this guy. That I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. You remember Dothan? Oh, there was these 12 brothers. And one of their brothers they couldn't stand. One day his dad said, go check on your brothers. See how things are going. And so he went to go find them, but they weren't where they were supposed to be. And he found an unnamed fellow wandering through the desert. And he said, do you know where my brothers are? And he said, they're in Dothan. So he went to Dothan, and the next thing he knows, he's in a pit. And he's getting sold into slavery. That's the place where Joseph's brothers betrayed him. That's where Elisha is. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And this is one of the wild stories in the Bible. And when the servant of the man of God... Now, you remember the servant used to be Gehazi. Gehazi or Gehazi or whatever, last week he was greedy and he tried to get money from Naaman who was healed of, le of leprosy and he becomes a leper. And we don't see him no more. So now he's got another servant. And this servant comes to Elisha and he rose early. Man, that's a good servant, right? He gets up early and he goes out and there's an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He freaks out. He goes out and he sees the whole army of the Syrians. I love this story. He sees the whole army against them. And Elisha is as cool as a cucumber. He's like still flipping his flapjacks on the, on the stove, making breakfast. Yeah, there might have been bacon. No. 
Probably no bacon. <laughs> I can't wait to get some of that bacon in heaven, though. No cholesterol in it. And it, it grows on trees. Anyway, he's there flipping his flapjacks. This guy comes to him. Oh, my gosh, we're surrounded. Listen to what Elisha says. He says, Altira, Altira, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Listen, in our lives, we are always going to be governed by one of two things. Fear or faith. One of them two things are going to govern us. When we talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about God's equipping us for service, when we talk about things that the Lord is going to want us to turn our back from or change in our lives, we are going to face those battles, those strongholds, those issues with one of two things. Fear or faith. The path that leads to empowerment is always going to be faith. Fear is always going to rob us of our joy. Fear is always going to rob us of our strength. Fear is going to rob us of our victory. Fear is going to make us miserable. Think about how many things you're afraid of. Fear robs us. And so the first thing Elisha says to him is don't be afraid. What's the second thing he does? Praise. Man, I love that. I love it. I, I can't love it anymore. There is such a need in the body of Christ for prayer. A lot less talking and a lot more praying. We need to be men and women of prayer. Committed to pray. Sometimes, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, sometimes I'll talk to somebody, they'll come, and they'll have a series of problems or things that are going on in my life, and I'll say pray. And sometimes, rather than pray, they go out and do 50,000 other things. And then they get the end of those 50,000 other things, and you know their situation has not changed one iota. And then they'll come back to me. Man, Jackie, it's worse than before. And I say, did you pray? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I said, Lord, fix this. And, and I kind of looked around, and nothing happened. So I started doing all these other things. Oh, you didn't pray. No, really, I prayed. I, I said, Lord, do this, and it, and it didn't happen, so I just went. No, you didn't pray. Do you know an example of prayer in the Bible? Let me give you one. There's this guy who was a liar, a deceiver, good-for-nothing guy. His name was Jacob. He did everything in his life was his own way, trying to rob, steal, destroy. He was more like the devil than he was like God. And one day, his brother's coming, he divides his family, he puts his, his favorite wife over here where she might be safe, and he tries to lure the guys, Esau, his brother, out with his least favorite wife and her kids over there, and he divides all this stuff up, and he sends all these gifts ahead, and he's got it all thought out. But you know, you can't sleep when there's going to be some big fight the next day, right? You're tossing and turning, he can't sleep. And all of a sudden, the Bible leaps into the spiritual realm. You know what it says? Jacob wrestled with a man. But there's something special about this man. He's losing. But he wouldn't quit. He wouldn't quit. The Bible says he prevailed. Now I know that the father is invisible. So I know he's not wrestling with the father. Who's he wrestling with? But the Bible tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and reveals the Father to us. So there's only one person, if it's a, a picture of God, that he could be wrestling with. It's Jesus Christ. And he wouldn't let God go. He hung on for all he was worth. Hung on and hung on and hung on. And he said, I will not let go until you bless me. I will not let go until you bless me. I will not let go until you bless me. So that man reached down and touched his hip. Lord, I said I won't let go till you bless me. He shriveled up the hip bone and made him lame the rest of his life. Well, in case you're wondering, that was a blessing. Jacob tended to want to rely on his own strength. Now he wasn't strong anymore. 
He had to rely on someone else. And then God changed his name. No longer Israel. Or no longer Jacob. Now Israel. You were once a deceiver. Now you're the prince of God. You're, the, you're governed by God. Multiple different ways we can define that phrase. What's the, what's the point as I picture that toward prayer? He wouldn't stop. When's the last time we are so moved by something happening in our midst, by God doing something incredible, that we just got down before the Lord and we prayed and we prayed all night long for that one thing. We cried out to God. We clung to God. We said, Lord, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to stop. I don't care if I go to work tomorrow. I don't care what I gotta, how much sleep i got to leave. When's the last time we prayed like that? Because the Bible says in James, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much what makes our prayers effective that they're in alignment with god they're in agreement with god's word what's fervency passion passion we have passion we are so stoic when we pray got it sound right but but god doesn't say the effective stoic prayer of a righteous man does he he says the effective fervent fervent prayer. God wants to see that passion in us. The passion that just weeps and cries and clings and holds on to God and says, I will not let go. I won't let go. I will not stop. I'm holding on until you bless me. I used to read that story and think, this is the weirdest story ever. I mean, he shouldn't have been wrestling with God. He should have just did what God wanted him to do. But here he is wrestling with God, and, and God changes his name, and, and things radically begin to, to, to alter in his life. He's not perfect from that point by any stretch of the imagination. But he would not give up. Sometimes we pray one time. I was that person. I would say, my God is sovereign and powerful, and he's going to do what he's going to do. So I'll pray. And either God does it, or he don't. But I prayed. But I had a hard time with the scriptures where Jesus would say, yeah, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, keep coming. And he'd give us examples of crazy people that banged on their neighbor's door until the neighbor would actually answer, or pestered the judge until the judge would do what they wanted. And Jesus likens those things. He, he makes the example toward the way he wants us to pray. Elisha prayed. The Bible says that Elijah was a man just like you or I. You know what it says next there in, in James? Elijah was a man like you or I who prayed. And it stopped raining for three and a half years. But we comfort ourselves and we say, ah, God doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, he does. He does. The church gathered around when Peter was in prison and they prayed all night long that Peter would be released from prison. And then they were praying the next morning when the angel had already delivered Peter and he was knocking on the door. Nobody would open the door. Why? Because the church was praying. That's okay. They're praying. They're going after the Lord. They thought it was crazy. There's no way he's there already. We just started. We're just getting warmed up. Prayed all night. Early in the morning. Yeah. You want to see the church clear out a room? We're going to pray. Four years ago, I came with a concept. I bet we could get a man or woman to cover every hour of every day in prayer. There's 168 slots. There's about 90 of them open still. Four years later. Jesus, through Solomon, said, If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray. When we struggle with that concept, some of those time slots are ugly. Like one in the morning, two in the morning. Who wants to get up at two in the morning to pray? You know, that just really affects my life. Hmm. Maybe I need to get myself off the throne. What happens if God's people pray? Well, look, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. You ever wanted to understand what God was doing around you? Lord, open my eyes that I might see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And all of a sudden, <laughs> everything changed. When, the, when the, It says, when the Syrians came down to him, oh, what's that phrase again? Elisha prayed. He looked, even though he can look around, he can see the army, he could have just said, well, I just come down and we'll let the angel army wipe you out. But that's not what he did. The Syrians come down, they think, oh, we got this guy, it's our whole army against one. And as they're coming down, Elisha prays again. Oh yeah, he says, uh, strike this people I pray with blindness. Oh, God doesn't do that today. Right? That's just then. God doesn't empower his people to pray prayers like this. You know, the people who smuggle Bibles into China, in the front seat of their car, crossing border crossings, they don't pray like this. Surely God would never close seeing eyes, would he? Does God work like this still? He struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way. I love it. Elisha's got the whole army who wants to kill him, who hate him, and all he can understand is, hey, you guys are not on the right way. And what's he say? Just like Jesus, what's he say? Follow me. I'll take you where you need to go. You could have wiped them all out. But he just says, hey, you guys aren't going the right way. Now it says the Lord struck him with blindness. And then, this is kind of confusing to me, he says, follow me. So I'm not sure what the blindness is or what has occurred. But whatever occurred, somehow they're able to follow Elisha. I think they just have no clue what they're there for. You ever done that? Sometimes I get up and I take off and I get into a room and I think, well, what was I coming in here for? What was I, what was I doing? I, I mean, I kind of see that as blindness, you know. And I, I don't know. I mean, hey, if they were blind and they couldn't see, great. You know, maybe he just grabbed the horse of the guy in front and they all held on to each other. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But it says that the Lord struck them on blind, and he, and he said, Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man you seek. But he led them to Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom where all the armies of Israel are. That's where the king is. And so it was, when they had come to Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And I, again, I think he's talking about their understanding. You know, you understand the concept of the open eyes, your understanding. You ever met people who just don't know what they're doing? <laughs> and so he says, open the eyes of their understanding. Open their eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they realized we're inside Samaria. We're in the walls. The whole army who came to get Elisha is now standing before the king of Israel. Wow. And when the king of Israel saw them, he says to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Should I kill them? Am I supposed to kill them? Elisha, do, 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 am I, because there have been a couple times where Elisha delivers people to him and the king should have wiped them out and he didn't listen. So at least this time he asks. He doesn't assume. But he answered them and said, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword or your bow? 
Put food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Put food and water before them. Give them what they need. It's been a long journey and send them home. While you're thinking about that and how crazy that is, because, you know, God changes the way he does things. And he does them different now. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Just flip over there real quick in Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 16. It says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, nor, or, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil we're good. God delivered the whole army into his hands. Elisha brings him into the capital of Samaria, feeds him, gives him something to drink, and sends him home. Surely God doesn't do that same stuff today, does he? Would God move in the same way? Would God empower us in the same way? Would, would God give us victories even as he gave victories to Elisha and to Elijah, if we will respond to the Holy Spirit, if we live a life relying on the Spirit's power, will He answer our prayers like He answered Elisha's prayer? Is there something special about Him that we don't have? Or will God move like this? Will God do these things? Verse 23 says, He prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank and they sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. It's not the end. And I'm never going to get through chapter 7 in three minutes. So we'll stop there. It's a good place to pause. The raiders, they stop. In the northern kingdom, who never had a good king, who had a people who didn't seem to ever really desire to worship the Lord or lay down their idols... But what do we see God doing? He sends him a prophet. He gives that prophet the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, that prophet ministers God's truth to people who won't listen. What about Said? He's in an Iranian prison, the worst prison in all of Iran. He is beaten at least every day. You think God empowers him the same way he empowered Elisha? I don't know. I, I'm torn in my prayers two ways. I pray that God gets him home and I pray that God uses him supernaturally in that prison. There are men in the dark of that prison who will not ever see light or hear the truth of the gospel ever. And Saeed is in it. And he's ministering in the power of the Spirit. I don't understand. In my perfect world, Saeed would be home with his kids and his wife, Nagme. That'd be my perfect world. But whenever we find the situations of our life coming in weird ways or doing weird things, we have two choices, right? You're going to live by faith or by fear. Nagme is living by faith the best of her ability. Saeed is living by faith the best of his ability. 
We're not in heaven prison. We're not in the dark. We're not receiving beatings. We have a different trial. We have everything we've ever wanted. We got too much. And we're spoiled. And we think we can do it without an axe head. And how ridiculous would it look for a lot of us to go chop wood with just a handle. We need empowered. We need filled to overflowing. We need to rely every minute of every day on the Holy Spirit. Willing to go where he sends us to do what he asks us to do. We sing the songs. I do too. Will you go wherever God asks you to go? Would you renounce whatever God asks you to renounce? What if it's something really important to you? Is God, your relationship, Jesus, is he the most important thing in your life? I don't know. It's uh, it's an important question to ask ourselves, isn't it? There's something I wouldn't leave, something I wouldn't deny, something I wouldn't turn from to please my Father in heaven. Then I have to ask myself, then am I his disciple? And if I am, don't I want his power? Don't I want to see the things God's doing? Oh, you know, I've heard these incredible miracles happening in Africa. These guys, they told us a story here. It was, oh, not quite a year ago about these guys, these African guys who are chaplains and and they're trying to protect their families and they're trying to do these incredible things. And, and they sat right on that screen. And one of them I got on my refrigerator, the guy who was talking And he said, that day the Lord just said, bullets, you're not going to hit anybody. And they just stood up while the people are shooting at them and nobody got hit. Surely God doesn't do that. Today? Man, God wants to move. He wants to move here. He wants to move in you. He wants to move in me. He wants to reach people out there. Most of us in here, we're okay. Most of them out there, they're not. How are we gonna how are we gonna reach out to them? How are we gonna tell them? How are we gonna share with them? We gotta be we gotta be empowered. The the promise that Jesus gave was the Holy Spirit would give you the ability to be his witness out there. And apart from that, we can't do it. And I hope God pours out his spirit here in such a way that things just get crazy and people get saved and and we gotta build another church somewhere out there and we put some people in it and we tell them to do the same thing and maybe we put another church over there somewhere and we put some people in it and we tell them to keep going. Isn't that what happened in Acts? Next thing you know, it was everywhere. I think God wants to do that still. I think God wants to empower and move. I think God wants to answer our prayers. I think God wants to move in ways we have only imagined All we got to do is get on his program. Ask him, I need that axe. I'm swinging a stick here, God, and it isn't working. He'll give you the axe head. He will. He will. We'll talk more about it on Sunday morning. But he wants to, just like he did there. He wants to do now.
All them people we're worried about, all those people we want to see saved, all those people we'd like to see their lives change, he wants to do it. He wants to do it more than you want it done. We throw around a verse, right? God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. You remember the rest of the verse, right? By the power or through the power that works in us. He's going to use us if it's going to happen. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just come before you. Lord, we just pray, God, that you would just instill these ideals within us. Lord God, if there's anybody here, Lord Jesus, that recognizes, man, once upon a time I had that axe. And I felt empowered to do what God wants me to do, but I don't have it now. But Lord, you would say, where'd you lose it? Remember. Repent. Return. Maybe the stuff of life is just burying us. And we look around and all we see is the army of the Syrians. Maybe we need to hear the truth that Elisha told his servant. There's more with us than there are against us. Don't be afraid. And then we need to pray. But we really got to pray. We need to pray so that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man covered in the blood of Jesus Christ would avail much, will accomplish. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. And those are real promises. Real promises. We can believe. We need to pray. And watch our young men Watch their eyes open. Watch them see all of a sudden. They thought they knew what they were doing and where they were going and what was happening. But, but now, praise God, they see because we prayed. Thank you. And maybe we need help getting somebody who's on the wrong way. Doing the wrong things. Maybe we need to pray, God, move in their life. Make the seeing eyes blind and the blind eyes see. And equip me to come alongside and say, you're not going the right way. Let me show you the way. Let me lead you to the man you're seeking. The man you're seeking isn't who you think you need. The man you need to seek is Jesus Christ. Yes. That's the man you need. Oh, Lord. What happens if we pray? What happens if we believe what this book says that we study? What happens if we make that the governing force in our life? What happens if we turn our back on all the things, all our plans, all our dreams, all our desires, and we live only for yours? What happens? Your word declares, if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Wow. Yes. Oh, God, we just... We pray that you would move. I pray, God, that we, your people, would come to a place where we confess you as Lord and Savior, where we repent of the garbage in our life and we change our direction and we live a life of obedience to you. We... Just got to make the choice, Lord Jesus. We got to make the choice that says, I will stand for you. I'll stand with you. I will stand beside you. I will make my choice and I will stand with you. No matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what anybody says, I choose you. Yes, thank you. God, I pray that we, your people, 
we make that choice and everything changes everything changes because we change it all starts with one and it goes to two and four and eight and sixteen thirty two sixty four hundred and twenty eight just keeps going because we keep doing what God's asking us to do God we pray you would just cause us to say is it me Lord am I right with you and if I'm not I don't leave this place without getting right with you without confessing repenting and obeying God begin your work tonight begin the move of your spirit now pour out your spirit on this place and be glorified as we make a choice to live our lives wholly, completely for you. Thank you, Father. And we give you all the praise for the work you have begun. And we hold to the promise that says, if I have begun a work in you, I will see it to completion. And we lay it in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.